I'm Heather Fleming, founder of In Purpose Educational Services and author of the book, My Black Friend Says. And I'm Delaney Ray, the coordinator of the LEAP Institute. So what do we do now, Heather? Same thing we've always done, Delaney. Keep fighting for an equitable world. This time in a podcast. Welcome to the Listen, Learn, Love podcast, where comfortable friends chat about uncomfortable topics. Let's do it. So, Heather. Yes, Delaney. Guess who is with us today? Who, Delaney? Our amazing, magical, fix everything that we mess up and make it perfect virtual assistant, Katie Sesti. It's Katie! Hi, everybody. Welcome, Katie. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Welcome and tell us what you do. I am a, you know, professional magician, but (laughs) (laughs) I I am a virtual assistant. This year, uh, I started my own company. It is called Sestiva. I support several different nonprofits or companies or individual people in their administrative needs. So I am working with Heather and Delaney with InPurpose Educational Services as their assistant. And I do lots of different things. You know, I've always felt that the title of administrative assistant for you was inadequate because, again, I remember one day that I sat for 30 minutes um, waiting for you to answer a question because I could not do anything else with my business until (laughs) you answered it. Because we need you so much, Katie. So I just really feel like maybe we should just call you administrative goddess. If you want, (laughs) go with that. That could be on your card. Magician, but I think a goddess is even more powerful. Yeah, yeah. I'll take it. Yes. Here's my question: Have you ever been called a goddess before? No. No. Really? No. Oh, so you definitely never been said. um, It's never been said that you are a European alabaster (laughs) goddess of of um, what beauty and grace, or that you are a saucy little. (laughs) No, I would be maybe a little Irish, Slovakian. I'm not sure what I am German. (laughs) I I wasn't sure what brand of white you were. I'm not even remotely German. I am white. So, uh, (laughs) well, yes. So you've never been called any of that. I have uh, received a derogatory term or two, but nothing, you know, whatever. But mostly, no, no. I'm. I've only ever been called cute. So (sighs) cute. That's so weird because. (laughs) I am called stuff like that all the time. A chocolate goddess, a beautiful amber queen, blah, 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 blah. How about you, Delaney? You know, for me, I would say the term I've heard most of my life is exotic. I've been called exotic. So what a great topic. Is that is that a compliment? Is calling a woman of color exotic a compliment? Um, I don't know. You know... When people say something like that, you're such a gorgeous, you know, exotic queen of blah, 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 you know, whatever they say. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I'm literally wearing a bonnet and some Hello Kitty, <laughs> a Hello Kitty onesie. I'm not sure how exotic I am right now. Right. I think that sometimes some of those compliments are connected to how they would like to view my entire race as opposed to... You as a person. Me as a person. Right. So that's you know? really a good point. I think I think of two instances throughout my my history that really stand out that I think 
explain this well. Exotic is something I have been called a lot, but there are, there are two stories that I think really are kind of set apart. And one was my freshman year of college. I had gone to a party and there I met a guy and I honestly don't even remember his name, but he was immediately taken with me and he kind of made a big point to follow me around the party and talk to me. And I, I mean, he was cute. I was actually really kind of excited about it. And pretty soon he asked me if I was Native American, to which I said, you know, I do have Native American ancestry, my great great grandfather, but that's pretty far back. I don't consider myself culturally Native American, but that's not what he heard. And so he kept referring back to me in his words as being a beautiful Indian princess. <laughs> and everything I did, I had a braid in my hair and he pointed out to somebody and said, look at this amazing Indian braid. <laughs> And it was so uncomfortable and awkward. Like, I really thought he was interested in me, but it got so weird that that, that was the end of that beautiful relationship. That would be weird. It, yeah. it was uncomfortable. I actually had a French braid in my hair, so it really didn't make any sense. <laughs> The second one I would say that really got to me was later on, but still in college, I, I had met through through friends of mine, a guy that asked me out on a date. I went out on a date with him. So first date, and he continually kept referring to one of his ex-girlfriends, who was Latina, and he kept getting more and more explicit, explaining to me the things she liked to do in bed and what she what? did in bed. Because you need to know, I need, you need to know any of that. Okay, so I was like, "This is the world's worst first date conversation for starters ever." Yuck! But I think it took me a while to realize what he was doing was he was basically letting me know his expectations of me. Mm -hmm. You guys know me. You know that I have all the sensual prowess of like Patrick from SpongeBob. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like Heather said, like the bonnet and the slippers. Like right. I, not only am I not going to accept that challenge, like I, I'm, I'm going to go home and I'm going to like bathe in Lysol. Like it was so <laughs> gross. Yeah, like, yeah, Katie, you got to join us this meeting this morning for our meeting, and um, so you got to see what beauty queens we are. Uh, oh, likewise, oh. you got to see mine as well. So. <laughs> every, every Tuesday and Thursday when we meet. Yeah, that is so <laughs> awful. But you know, that that's something that black, indigenous and women of color have to deal with, I think, on a regular basis, especially when, you know, they begin dating outside of their race or, or whatever. It's called. Um, what's the word, Delaney? Fetishization of women of color. There it is. Fetishization. Hey, Katie, you try to say it now. <laughs> Fetishization. Oh, no, 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 no. You say it fast. Oh, no. You got to say it fast. <laughs> Fetishization. 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 Oh, I'm so proud of you. Yeah, fetishization. I, I want to warn everyone that I'm going to mess it up. It's a Me pretty too. big word. I'm going to mess it up so many times during this conversation. You're right. That is what it's called. And so I did actually a little bit of looking around online before we had this conversation. And going back to my question, is the term exotic a compliment? I found an article written by Lita Williams. The title of the article is Fetishization, Fetish, <laughs> Fetishization, <laughs> Fetishizing People of Color Isn't a Compliment, So Don't Act Like It Is. 
And I really liked this quote that I wanted to share. Calling a woman exotic because she isn't white isn't flattering in any way. It's objectifying. Racial fetishization isn't a compliment. The comments aren't out of admiration or adoration. It's racism. Yeah. What, What do you guys think of that? Especially kind of with the stories that I told, this really yeah. kind of hit home. Yeah, I think it's um, it's it's part of the process of otherizing, and so it's setting you know white skin as the standard, and anything outside of yep. white skin is being somehow different mm-hmm. and unique. When that's just not true in every situation. You know, my experiences as a black woman don't have to do with my skin actually being a different color. It has to do with how I'm treated because my skin is a different color Mm -hmm. and the experiences that I have because my skin is a different color. But if we had, if we removed racism, if we removed that otherizing process, none of my experiences would be any different um, than either of yours, Katie or Delaney. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's that process of otherizing. I don't care for it either. I've um, had some experiences where I was dating outside my race and same thing. You just start noticing that there are certain things that 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 person does that it's like, that seems strange. And I'm not sure that they would do that if I were a white woman as opposed to a black woman, you know, and it includes the the sexualization part and the, you know, thinking that I'm going to be thinking that there's going to be something different in our relationship that would not be in their relationship with with a white woman simply because of my skin color and not because of my experiences. Mm -hmm. And in that way, some of them add to those experiences um, as a result. So Katie, in your experience, do you, have you heard or seen these terms or comments used with, with people or especially women of color? So I personally haven't really had anything like that, but from the outside looking in, have heard of situations like this um, because I guess I've shown myself to be an ally and people can tell me these stories and I'm listening to them. And so growing up in St. Louis, grew up in a very white area, not a lot of diversity um, with the exception of some you know, students in school growing up. But as an adult, I realized that I was missing diversity in my life. And so I made an active choice to make friends and make relationships with people of color versus having a token black friend or token Jewish friend or token Mm -hmm. Hispanic friend. It's just, I want to have friends that are different than me. Right. So just building relationships with people I work with and just talking to the people as people. So with that, there comes a point where you make friends of, you know, in your quote unquote new world, your adult world, you have adult friendships and you have, you know, sometimes a party where you invite people from both worlds and they start interacting with each other. And that can lead to kind of some awkward moments. And so from what I had heard, what happened once was uh, someone from my quote unquote old world uh, was talking to someone from my quote unquote new world and was mentioning that Uh, Her daughter was very exotic looking and her daughter was nine. So nine um, years old and she's Hispanic, um, Latino descent, um, but she's American. So it's not like she truly was exotic from the jungles of whatever country, you know, she, she, she's from Texas or something. Cleveland. (laughs) You know, so (laughs) Um, so yeah, um, and so my friend told me about it, you know, and I obviously apologized and listened to her about it, and you know, and I tried to explain that person, but it was ultimately like, yeah, I'm aware that that person said a very racist thing, and I apologize for it, and they are racist, and I apologize 
that you had to experience that instead of saying like, oh, they're a really nice person. That's not what they meant to say. It's like, no, it, I kind of just took responsibility for it and apologized as best I could. So that's the only kind of interaction I've had with any of this fetishization of... <laughs> Oh, got it. Got it. But yeah, that was. <laughs> but yeah, as a white woman, I really. I you know what? That's a great outside, story. From outside in, so. The, the thing about that story that's so great is that is a child. That's a baby. Mm -hmm. That's a nine year old girl who is already being called exotic. So yeah. there's another article I found called A Dive into the Degrading World of Fetishization of, that Latinas Live in. And I think that really goes along with this. This article was written by Kate Sotelo and it was published in the Daily Orange. And she writes about the prevalence of the Latino as an archetype, as um, being the hot-tempered, curvy, and seductive woman. And that's just a caricature of a woman. That's an unrealistic stereotype, but that fuels this exotic fetish about Hispanic and Latina women. She goes on to explain that that word, exotic, as I think Heather brought up earlier, all that word is doing is pointing out features that fall outside of the social norm. But of course, that norm is by default white. And so when a person, especially a white person, says these things, this just continues to perpetuate the idea that white culture is normal. White features are normal. The, you know, a white woman is the normal, beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. um, I really liked, too, the point about the fact that, you know, th th this was a child because, believe it or not, this process begins in children. Research finds that by the time Black children, especially Black girls, are five years old, people begin to see them differently, less innocent, as, as being less innocent, more manipulative, et cetera, et cetera. And that's based upon our implicit bias and what we're taught about Black women in general. And it's put off on children. You know, my, my daughter is, she's 12 years old. She's tall. She's beautiful. She's still 12. You know, even though she may look like a woman, she's still 12 and she's still, still a baby, a 12. She's still a baby. A and so f for me as a black mother, part of my job has been shielding her innocence for as long as I could. You know, there there have been events that have broken it. Like I talk about the fact that first time she was called the N word was in fifth grade. Oh. I'm She managed to make it three years longer than I did because the first time I was called in where was in second grade. So you have these experiences that you try to shield your children from as much as possible, but society, unfortunately, you know, it sometimes comes to them and, and that's one of the ways that they find. That's the reason why when we see um, reports about black children and discipline within schools, more often than not, black children are more harshly punished and they are more often pointed out for punishment. And it's because of some of these implicit biases that we get from the otherization, fetishized, I give up. Katie, say it. <laughs> Fetish? Ization. That's the best there I can we go. do, guys. <laughs> I think we are going to have to just break that down into being like a really Fetish? long word. I mean, that's, uh, how, that's how I explain words to my son. So, Fetish you know. Ization. I love Fetish? it. Fetish Ization process. Okay, we got that. Heather, do you know how far back in history this hypersexualization of Black women actually goes? You probably do. Katie, do you know? I didn't really know 
because I kind of looked into it. I did a little more research. And it turns out that there's a historical context of this racial fetishization of women of color all the way back to the writings of Thomas Jefferson. And I'm sure before then. Yeah. But I was reading an article by Karen M. Holmes. It was published in the journal Black and Gold. And the title was The Colonial Roots of Fetishization of Black Women. And in there, she writes about a very influential political document of its time that was written by Jefferson. So this was in 1788. In this article, he wrote that Black men are more ardent after their female, but seems with them that they are they have more eager desire and less of a tender, delicate mixture of sentiment and sensation. And that is a really vile claim, I think, to make about a race of people. But he doesn't stop there because he goes on to depict Black people in general as primitive and emotionally immature in regards to sexual intimacy and expresses the idea that Black women are hypersexualized, but also have no real discrimination or concern as to their sexual partners. And what this did was this, this paved the way through this document for this rape culture that existed throughout the history of slavery in America. So here is actual historical documented precedent behind these experiences and this conversation and what, Heather, you have been talking about with your precious child. I mean, this was written into like documents by our founding fathers, this historical country. Yes, this, 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 this systemic debasement and dehumanization of hypersexualizing women of color. And it has persist, persisted from slavery all the way through modern times. And it was written by someone who um, had six children with his black um, slave. And so when they call Sally Hemings his mistress, I always am like, no. <laughs> she was his victim. victim. Right. Probably um, not mistress. Yeah, and Probably not mistress, probably victim. And so, right. um, and the shame of it, Sally Hemings was the result of his wife's father and a slave woman. So basically Sally Hemings was, was Jefferson's wife's sister. Mm, I but she was a slave. She was enslaved. And and I'll say this, that actually Jefferson's document was kind of a culmination of things that presented up until then. Ibram X. Kendi discusses it in Stamp from the Beginning, that kind of this idea started with a woman, a woman named Elizabeth Key. And so she was a um, she was a, a biracial um, woman. She her father was a white man. And when he died, he actually freed her. But the people that were then in charge were like, no, we're not. And so she ended up marrying another white man. She became a Christian. And then she and her husband went into court and they sued for her freedom, basically, because they were like, according to British laws, number one, it's carried on that that idea of freedom is carried according to the father's race, which in that case was white. And then number two, it says you can't enslave fellow Christians. And so America, in order to keep this institution of slavery in place in the way that they needed to, changed all those laws. And they made it to where it was based on I think it was a Roman concept of uh, basically when there's a domesticated animal, that's what we were being compared to. When there's a domesticated animal, it is based upon the mother 
And so they changed the laws based upon that particular concept so that they could keep people enslaved. Of course they did. And, right? Yeah. And then so after gross. that, it kind of kept building because now it, it, white men had permission and could freely have sex with their slaves, produce a child, and that child would actually make them more money because that, that child would now be a slave because it's based upon the mother's um, roots. But in order to justify their attraction to these so-called animals, they went through this process of hypersexualizing us and basically saying that, that they couldn't resist the, the way that we um, pulled them to, you know, drew them to us, etc. So we were became the victim. Um, excuse me, we became the cause of our own victimization. And it just, whenever we look at uh, some concept, some stereotype in history, we always have to look back to and follow the money, if we're going to be honest. The sexualization, the hypersexualization of Black men and Black women came from the fact that they needed to justify slavery. They needed to justify slavery so that they can keep free labor. They mm. needed to keep free labor so that they could make money. And so that's also where the idea of this aggressive black male that is that is just obsessed with white women to the point that white women's virtue has to be protected. That also came from that particular history. So even before Jefferson's lovely little writings, there was a book called like The Isle of Pines. And it was about this man that was uh, shipwrecked with two white servants and one slave woman and then one 14-year-old white servant. And basically the person, the man starts engaging in sexual relations with the other uh, women, the white women on the island. And then he portrays the black um, slave woman as wanting to be part of this and wanting to have sex with him so badly that she like overtook him. She attacked him like in his sleep, etc. And so that's another treatise that helped to contribute to this idea that black women were these hypersexual beings and, and that we were indiscriminate about who we chose to have sexual relations with. And unfortunately, it has continued throughout time. And that is the reason why we find some of that data that we find on implicit bias within our schools and the fact that black children are seen as older and less innocent than white children of the same age. Right. Mm-hmm. That's amazing history. And it's, it goes along with what you've said before about, you know, follow the money sometimes to find out why a policy or a system is in place. Uh, it sounds to me like Thomas Jefferson was just kind of doubling down on this belief that really benefited, you know, the white slave owners. It did. It, it certainly did. And I mean, it got to the point where there was a a survey of newspapers in, in what year was that? 1776. And in that year, they had reported 100 rapes, Yeesh. but they never reported the rapes of black women. Wow. Mm. Wow. And that's because at that point they had normalized that and they had made it about the fact that um, if a black woman is raped, it's because she wanted it. Didn't count. It just wow. doesn't count. Right. And it yeah. didn't count. And unfortunately, we still see mm -hmm. the remnants of that in our modern culture. Totally. And that's the reckoning when we when we start talking about how to better love one another and to better serve one another. 
and to come into community with one another. That's some of the things that we have to reckon with. You know, we have to reckon with the fact that this is this history and we've got to work through how do we make this better? You know? Right. So I guess here is a big question. I'm going to ask you, both of you, Katie and Heather. So after this, all of this discussion, the historical context, does this mean that a person can't be attracted to or date or love someone outside of their race and ethnicity? Well, Absolutely I mean, not. I was going to say, I, I love you guys. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we are very different people. So, But I don't love you because of, I love you, like, I love you, who people who happen to have other you know, backgrounds than me and look different in different cultures, but that's not why I'm be friends with you. So it would, I think it would be kind of like, what's your, what's the point of that relationship? What are you trying to get out of it? And for me, I'm trying to just get friendship and yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And I think that's the key difference is your attraction based on fantasy or mm-hmm. reality. You know, are yeah. you attracted to the racial caricature of a person or are you genuinely attracted to that person. Yes, I think that is a really significant um, distinction. In the end, you know, last episode about interracial friendships, I talked about the fact that my best friend would never describe me as her Black best friend because I'm her best friend who happens to be Black. The first thing that we have is the fact that we're best friends. And what makes us best friends is actually those things that we have in common, those things that connect us. And then as a result of that, we examine, we know about, and we appreciate those things that make us different. Mm -hmm. And I think that ends up being the key is that, you know, like, for instance, I have a cousin, he's married to a white woman, and I could not love her more. But the reason why is because of the fact that she's authentically herself. Like she's not one of those people that comes in and tries to so-called act black or anything. She is just herself. And, And in being herself, that's the beauty in her being with my cousin, because they are in a lot of ways, polar opposites, you know, very polar opposites. But they care about and they love one another for who they are. And then they accept one another for who they are. That's what's important in relationships um, of any type. And I'm talking about interracial romantic relationships or interracial platonic relationships. It's about that appreciation point. Right. You know, and that's one thing I've had in friendships and, and you know, kind of part of the, the first story that I told you guys is when people expect you to act out your race, when they want to point out any time that you are doing something that is stereotypical for your particular ethnicity. You know, my husband, who is just Caucasian, he's super white. He does not ever expect or ask me to act out my Hispanicness. That's not something that it comes up in conversation. Well, I mean, obviously it comes up naturally at certain times in our, in our lives and in our family, but it's not something that's pointed out or expected of me. Mm-hmm. That's really significant. Um, the friend group that I have, which of course you three, are, you two are a part of, the friend group that I have, that's just kind of how it is. You know, I am who I am. When I get onto our calls, I could be wearing my bonnet. I could be, there's been times when I've been doing my hair, a new hairstyle, et cetera. And y'all just accept me as I am, 
you might have a question because it's it's different, but it's not one of those things where now we need to know, oh, Heather, you just look so exotic. <laughs> You'll tell me I look pretty, but thank goodness. You know, let me point this out. Sorry to that. It bothers me too when that people always talk about my skin color from a perspective of food. Mm. Like, what is up with that? I'm going to eat you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell us. I, I, you know, I'm chocolate. I'm caramel. I'm almond. I'm, okay. No, I'm not food. Stop that. You know, you can describe me as, as medium skin or whatever, but no, don't. Oh, she's coffee colored. <laughs> what? Katie, do you get that? Are you ever described as, as food-like? Uh, no, but as- I did notice the crayon my son wanted to use for skin said apricot. So that would be the closest we've got to apricot. Yeah, apricot. But I would love to see one called <laughs> called boiled egg. Boiled egg. <laughs> <laughs> that would probably also see be how well that goes over. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's yeah, that would work for me, I think. But yeah. <laughs> I like mashed potatoes. I like mashed potatoes. Yeah, okay, yeah, with butter. Butter <laughs> mashed potatoes. But are these also going to be scented crayons? Because I don't really want to use boiled egg. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could go for a good taco crayon, and I might even, like, be willing to, like... Eat that cr- taco crayon? Yeah, yeah. I might. <laughs> that might... <laughs> <laughs> Again, with the I want to eat your skin color. I just want to eat you. <laughs> oh, y'all are the best. <laughs> no, by all means, engage in interracial friendships and relationships. But it's about really finding that ability to see that person first as as an individual. One of the things that Ibram X. Kendi also talked about and a tradition we still continue is that white people have the opportunity to be individualistic. And so if a white person engages in negative behavior, that is a representative of that white person. That's the reason why headlines say things like he was a lone wolf. He was mentally ill, et cetera, et cetera. But right. when it comes to black people, and this started way back then with this fetidization, I said it right. With this Yay. fetidization issue that black people, when when a black person engaged in negative behavior, it started to become representative of the entire black race. And so it just comes down to no matter what the issue is, we've got to do a better job of learning how to treat people as individuals and then respect them, love them, listen to their experiences because they are a member of a specific identity group. But the first thing to start from is the individual and loving that person as an individual. I think that's the perfect note to end on. But before we go, I really want to hear us all say that word three <laughs> times fast. At the same time? Yes. Fetidization. Fetidization. Oh, that, that was a mess, y'all. Okay. <laughs> Thank oh. you so much, Katie, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Love you all. Love you. Love too. you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. You can support us on Patreon by looking for the Listen, Learn, Love podcast or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at InPurposeES. That is I-N-PurposeES. You can also follow us on Twitter at InPurposeEA or visit our website at www.InPurposeEA.com. 
Heather, this was great. Do you want to do it again next week? I sure do, Delaney. Awesome. Talk to you then. Bye.